Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. This is not a book about books. This is a book about people. This is a book about the living, breathing creatures in the world around us who need our love. This is a book about how books can bring people together and how that bond can last a lifetime. There are no in-depth discussions of symbolism, no characters are painstakingly analyzed, and no one stops what they are doing to ponder the meaning of a line or phrase while riding a roller coaster, eating a sandwich, or dancing to a swing band. My father and I did these things, and perhaps they could have made for a good book. But it is not this book. This book is about the act of reading and the time spent doing it. This is about the 3,218 nights my father and I spent reading anything and everything we could find. The books are important, but the conversations they started and the bonds they created are what really matter. The titles may be familiar. The conversations may remind you of your own. For many of you, this could be a trip down memory lane. But if you haven't read a single book that we read, or you tend to fall asleep before you can finish a chapter, even if you've never been read to and never read to another person, this book is for you, too. When I remember the promise I made to and with my father, the books are key players. But the star was, and always will be, the man who read them and the devotion he showed to me by reading them aloud. This is about the quilt of our lives and all the patches, some tattered, some vibrant, woven together by the books we read. This book is about remembering what you were reading when your sister moved away, but also remembering what that last hug felt like. This book is about remembering the words on the pages, but never forgetting whose head was on your shoulder while you read them. This book is about growth and change and fear and hope and triumph and, yes, books. It's about all of those things because reading never is and never can be just about the characters and the plots. Reading to someone is an act of love. This book is, above all else, a love story. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. I am so 
so excited about today's podcast. I can barely stand it. If you read my blog at amongstlovelythings.com or follow me on Facebook or Twitter, you may have seen my recent gushing about Alice Ozma's fantastic book, The Reading Promise, My Father and the Books We Shared. This book is amazing. It's a memoir of what Alice and her father call the reading streak. But really, it's not a book about books. It's a book about the incredible relationship Alice and her father forged over a habit of reading aloud day in and day out without missing a single day for eight years. This is the book. I can honestly say I haven't read anything that better articulates the hunch I've had that books are the currency of really deep and meaningful relationships and that sharing a book really uniquely weaves together hearts in a way that can't be replicated. So it's the book I'm going to be giving away as gifts and sharing with absolutely everyone I meet. And I am super excited because Alice is here with me today to talk about her book, about the way reading aloud forged a bond between herself and her father that was far more than a daily literary habit, and about how her father's act of reading aloud made her into who she is today. Alice, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to chat with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Gosh, that gushing, you really set me up here. Now I feel like I have to live up to these expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think my listeners are used to my gushing, although I don't think I've gushed quite as much about anybody else (laughs) as I have about your book. (laughs) It's just such a great, it really caught me off guard. I don't, I don't know what I was expecting because I had just found the book and kind of ordered it on a whim and started it the day it came, but it totally caught me off guard. It was so well done. Many of our listeners probably don't know what the reading streak is or how it came to be. So can you tell us that story? Yeah. When I was uh, in elementary school, my dad was reading to me every night aloud. He had been, but it wasn't an absolute mandatory tradition. You know, sometimes something came up, someone was sick, we were out late, and sometimes on those nights we didn't read. But as I started getting a little older... My dad recalled that my sister, who is uh, seven and a half years older than I am, when she was about the age that I was at the time we started this, she had said, Dad, I don't want you to read aloud to me anymore. I'll take it from here. I can, I can read to myself. And that had been really hard for him. That was a difficult transition. So when I started approaching that fourth grade-ish age where, you know, you kind of want to do it yourself, Mm -hmm. he was afraid of what he thought was inevitable, that I would say, I want to take it from here. So in order to avoid that, he said, I have an idea. Let's read for a hundred nights in a row and see if we can do it without missing a night. And I said, sure. And we did it. And then we said, let's read for a thousand nights in a row. And we did that too. And then finally, we kind of just said, let's read until something gets in our way and we have to stop for one reason or another. And the thing that ended up getting in our way was 3,218 nights later, uh, my first day of college. So we read from elementary school to my first day of college without missing a night, which was a a pretty long time and a really incredible thing, I think, for both of us. Yeah, that's so awesome. So did you find that like the momentum was, you know, you didn't want to break the chain or, you know, break the streak. So the momentum kept you going a lot of times when it would have been really easy to say, oh, not tonight. You know, we've got too much going on or. Yeah. And I think I think it was partly that. And I think it was also. My dad is a very passionate person, but it's kind of sometimes seemingly random to me what he's passionate about, but I had never 
seen him so passionate about something, once he had latched onto this idea that we were never going to miss a night, he was so excited and he was just unstoppable. And it really made it so that any time that it was even mildly, you know, inconvenient for me, which it, it rarely was, but you know, there's teenage years that did happen where it was kind of tough to get back in time. But um, even on those nights, I really didn't want to disappoint him. Uh, I knew how excited he was and I just kind of built off of that excitement myself. And it made it a lot easier for both of us because I think we were cheerleading for each other. Okay, right. So then the rules for the reading streak were pretty simple, right? I think you said they were that your dad had to read to you for at least 10 minutes per night every night before midnight with no exceptions. <laughs> Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And we would sometimes read, it really depended on where we were. And so there were those occasions where we were kind of stuck and we needed to read whatever we had. My dad and I, we live uh, just outside of Philadelphia and we are Phillies season ticket holders. And at one point during the streak, the Phillies were having a really hot season and we were at a game that was pretty important and we didn't want to go home, but it was clear the game was going to go past midnight and he pulled out like the program for the game and started reading to me about the players. And we sat there. I'm a high school student. We're sitting in a Phillies game. He's just reading to me, you know, Cole Hamels was born in <laughs> going on and on. And, and everyone around us is like trying to pay attention to the game. And here we are reading in the middle of the seventh inning, but those things happen. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I just love the picture of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of those kind of strange moments of, you know, people would look around and be very surprised that we were reading where we were reading. But when you have to get it in before midnight, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, right. Well, and then I think um, in our culture, or just sort of in general, people realize, you know, oh, yeah, you read to small children because they can't read to themselves. But reading to older children who can read to themselves is pretty countercultural. So did you experience any... Um, any discomfort from your friends or anybody else who knew what was going on, who maybe maybe didn't understand what was happening there? I don't know. It's a, that's a really good question. I don't know if discomfort would be the word, and I don't know if friends would be the word. I mean, I think that my friends and the people that I chose to really let close into my life completely understood it, okay. um, partly because it it really outlived them. You know, they, the friends that I made in middle school, this already existed when I met them. So that kind of, it wasn't a new thing. It was something that came with the package, so to speak. If you want to be <laughs> friends with me, you accept this. But, um, they, yeah, my close friends were totally understanding and fine with it. Uh, I have these really vivid memories still. They're still extremely clear to me when we would, I'd be out with my friends, and I, and I didn't have a curfew because I was a really good kid, so there was really nothing I was doing that needed a curfew. But sometimes we'd be having a board game night or something, and, and I'd say, oh, i, I got to get read to. And so we'd all, like a group of six of us, would pile into somebody's car. We'd drive back to my house. My dad would hear us come in. He'd come down, offer everybody soda, whatever. And then I would go up and get read to, and they would just sit in the living room and play a board game or play cards and wait for me to come back down and then I would come back down and we would all leave again. That happened a number of times. Oh my gosh, and in I hindsight, that's that. so strange. <laughs> yeah, it totally is, and I absolutely love it. <laughs> but at the time, it really didn't seem odd to me at all. And the other thing that didn't seem odd, every person in that living room knew why they were there. Um, no, There was no, you know... 
uh, illusion of what I was going up to do. I would go upstairs and they all knew, oh, she's going upstairs to get read to. That was exactly how it was. But um, to me, that seemed completely normal. I'm sure it didn't to them. <laughs> that's so great. I love how it just seemed totally normal to you. Like that's just that's just what your family did. That's just what life was like. We read aloud every day. <laughs> yeah. So. And it, it really didn't even strike me as a remarkable thing until I was in college, which is saying something. I mean, I I like to think I was a fairly self-aware teenager, but it, you know, of all the things that I thought were abnormal or quirky about me, uh, that was not one of them. (laughs) Okay, so when did you decide to write a book about the reading streak? It's kind of an unusual situation. It more fell into my lap. I didn't really pursue it per se, but um, I was an English major in college and I started looking at grad schools and I was applying to the University of Pennsylvania and I wrote a ton of essays. They had the program I was applying to, you had to write something like 16 essays. It was absurd. And the last essay was kind of a choose your own ending kind of essay. It was right about whatever you want, which was really stressful to me because I didn't know what they were looking for. So initially I was going to write about the time I met an astronaut, which was actually a really great story. But um, I said, you know what? I'm going to write about my reading streak with my dad because, and this is my logic, if nothing else, this is a really strange story. And if it's a really strange story, they're going to think I'm really strange. And if they think I'm really strange, they're going to want to meet me in person. So I'm going to get an interview. And if I get an interview, I can take it from there. That was my whole logic. So it was a bit unusual. So I wrote this essay along with the other ones, and I sent it to the head of my English department. I went to Rowan University in South Jersey. And I sent it to the head of the English department to proofread for me. And she said, these are great, fantastic. Um, this last essay, this one about your dad is really interesting. Do you mind if I had it, send it to the head of PR at Rowan? And I said, absolutely, but I don't know why. So she sent it and I went for an interview with the head of PR who thought she was going to include something about this in a newsletter for Father's Day. And so she was interviewing me and about two hours later, she said, I have way too much to put in a newsletter. Do you mind if I send a pitch about this to the New York Times? And my reaction was something like, oh, you can do whatever you want, crazy lady. They're not going to look at it. (laughs) And um, she sent it. And then something really fast, like a week later, I got a call from the New York Times saying, do you want us to interview you and, and talk about the streak? And I remember, you know, through this whole process, I'm telling it as kind of a long story, but my point is at no point did I realize what a big deal this was. So the New York Times called me and said, can we come interview you? And they gave me a time. And I said, oh, no, I have class at that time. So this this just won't work. <laughs> I didn't oh, even come back so to them awesome. with another time. Um, but <laughs> we, en- we ended up being interviewed. They ran a piece in the New York Times. And... Uh, the Sunday that the piece, or actually, this is a funny side note. The night before the piece came out, Saturday night, we had seen it in advance. And I said to my dad, wouldn't it be funny? We're going to bed. And I said, wouldn't it be funny if we woke up tomorrow and our lives from that point on were totally different? And he laughed and said something totally dismissive. And then the next day I woke up at maybe 7.30, my phone was ringing. And it was the first of dozens of calls I got saying, do you want to write a book about this? It was the first person to call was an agent. And then there were editors and all kinds of people who were saying, Hey, what do you think about writing a book? And, um, 
initially, I think I, I kind of resisted because that's a big, scary thing to think about. And I was yeah. a senior in college and it was also the week of my finals oh my <laughs> and I had a cold. <laughs> so I was kind of not paying attention to it. And then finally they, I guess, wore me down. And so the article came out on a Sunday and not the next Monday, not the day after, but a week and a day later, I had my agent and my book contract and I had signed my contract. It was, it was a matter of, of eight days. Oh my goodness. What a whirlwind that had to have completely you by surprise. Well, I'm surprised. I'm really surprised because your writing is really spectacular. So the fact that you weren't pursuing something with it, um, sort of floors me. You really, that is amazing. (laughs) Well, I was an English major, so I was writing and it was an odd kind of Writing has been one of those things that keeps falling in my lap throughout my life because when I was in high school, I won two national writing contests. And in both cases, I was essentially doing it for the money. (laughs) I just needed like scholarship money. Mm -hmm. So I entered one and I won $1,000 and I was like, well, hmm, this is an interesting way to to pay for college. So I Googled something like... um, biggest scholarship prize essay contest and found Newsweek does one. And I found the Newsweek one and I entered that and I won that. And I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to pay for college. So uh, I had been writing, but I, I wasn't pursuing it as a career. Wow. Okay. Well, when a calling falls into your lap like that. <laughs> you got to go with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your childhood, which was not easy. You don't come right out and say that in the book, but the heart-wrenching story of your mom um, leaving pulled on every single one of my heartstrings. I was crying when I read that part of your book. Oh, no, don't cry. Oh, gosh. But I think what amazed me is how the simple act of um, reading aloud to you for 10 minutes a day had this really healing effect. Um, And anyway, from my perspective as a reader, it seemed like your dad sort of metaphorically cradled you in his arms when he read to you. It was like how he carried you through that rough time. And so um, I, I, well, a good illustration of this is when you talk about your hundred day mark in the book, you say when you first achieved the that first milestone of your reading streak, the two of you decided to celebrate at Flicks, which just like, tell me about that. Tell tell our listeners about that because I love that. So we were trying to think of what to do for our hundred our hundred day mark. And for us, this was a really big deal. I want to say this is a bigger deal than a birthday because it was something we had worked together. But growing up, money was very tight. I mean, as an example, when my sister got accepted to Yale and it was this dream come true for her, we got a medium Papa John's pizza with one topping. I mean, that was like <laughs> the big celebration. <laughs> so, <laughs> so clearly we're not, you know, throwing around the big bucks for celebration. But we had talked about what should we do that um, is our big celebratory moment for 100 days. And we decided to go to this little local cafe, which uh, I think now, I mean, I know it doesn't exist. We went to this tiny little cafe called Flix Cafe, very mom and pop, greasy spoon in my hometown. And we decided to get pancakes and celebrate with pancakes. And it was just a very simple thing, but it was us time. And I think that that's so important because that's what the streak was about. It kind of almost didn't matter what we were reading. It was about the time we spent together. And I think in that same way, you know, sure, we could have celebrated with a fancy dinner or a day at a theme park, but ultimately it came down to just spending time together. So going to that local greasy spoon and getting a stack of pancakes, that's good enough for us, you know? Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the foreword, which your dad wrote. And 
is really amazing. It's one of the best essays I think I've read on reading aloud and what it means to read aloud and why. So let me read a little selection from it. If you have been read to as a child, you are much more likely to read to your own children when they come along. Create a family tradition that can be passed on. The greatest gift you can bestow upon your children is your time and undivided attention. As the years advance, you may reflect upon your life and see that in some areas, you have regrets about what you took to be a priority. No one will ever say, no matter how good a parent he or she was, I think I spent too much time with my children when they were young. I underlined this like three, there's like three lines underneath (laughs) because I thought, oh my goodness, that's right. I think as a parent and I have six kids, I think, wow, we get so, there's so many, you know, different um, things clamoring for our attention and we get our priorities kind of mixed up and we get distracted by just the daily stuff. But to think about how you'll never say, I wish I hadn't read to my child as much as I did. That's never something anyone would say. So that was really I think that was a, a unique thing to think about. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I think about that quote a lot too, which is interesting because um, I'm only 26. I don't have children yet. I just got married. So I'm in a very different place in my life than, than he was when he was writing that. And yet that quote really resonates with me. And I think really what I boiled that quote down to, I think, you know, he is talking about reading and children. And I, th- and I don't want to take away that message because that's the message he's conveying. But I also think there's sort of an underlying message there that's just, you will never regret the time you spent with the people you loved, mm. giving them your, your love and attention and, and, you know, really being present with them. Yeah. And I think that that's a super universal message that no matter where you are in your life, maybe you have kids, maybe you don't. But I, I think about that all the time, just when I'm spending time with my husband, you know, put the phone down, close the laptop, let me pay attention to what you're actually saying. Let me be present with you. I think that that's a really universal message. I think you're totally right. Yep. That's, I agree completely. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer And here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. So I am fascinated by the fact that your dad rehearsed every day before he read to you. In fact, that that caught me off guard every time you mentioned it. So for our listeners who haven't read the book yet, let me 
just give them a heads up. Alice's father was a children's librarian who read aloud for his job every single day. And then, of course, he read aloud to Alice every single day. Yet, before he read aloud their chapter each day, he would go off by himself and rehearse that day's selection. So, Alice, tell me about that. Why did he do that, do you think? Well, it's an interesting question. I think part of it is when it comes to reading, there is a certain amount of my dad that is perfectionist. You know, he wants to pick the right book. He wants to read it correctly. He wants to, this is the thing he thinks he does best in life. So he wants to do it as well as he possibly can. And I think that also there's almost an element there of competitiveness, even though there's no one he's competing with, you know, no one else is reading to me. I'm not giving them scores at the end, but he still wants to be the best at reading to me. So that's an element of it. And then there's also sort of this element of, I don't want to say censorship, that's too strong of a word, but I think he was really big on, let's read whatever books appeal to us, but if there's something that that I feel you can't handle at this point in time, I'll just remove that sentence, you know, a curse word or whatever it may be. But it was interesting because he was removing things, you know... for better or for worse, this was just the nature of, of reading with my dad. He would remove things that were actually super relevant to what was going on in my life. Like, there's, I, I kind of touch on this in the book a little bit, but we read several books that had to do with, you know, um, coming of age and puberty and dating and whatnot. And he would cut all of that stuff, despite the fact that I was the same age as that character right. and <laughs> that this was all super relevant. He would cut that. And, you know, um, I really can't ding him for that. I don't think it's what I would do as a parent, but on the flip side, I can see that that made him uncomfortable for whatever reason. And I'm so glad that he at least, you know, if, if censoring it was the way he had to get through it, at least we still read that book rather than saying, this makes me uncomfortable. We're not even going to touch this. And, and I always did kind of go back later on and, and figure out what it is that we were missing. Cause it was kind of obvious when, if you would skim a lot, <laughs> right? then it would be obvious. And there's a chapter about that. Yeah. But, um, I think he handled it as he knew best. And as somebody who in general is very opposed to censorship, I, I'm surprised that I'm not incensed about it now. But <laughs> that was that was his way of getting through a book that he otherwise wouldn't have picked up. And if that's what he had to do, then then I'm I'm glad we still tried those books. Yeah, uh, that chapter in your book had me cracking up laughing. I mean, it was just so funny. I could totally see my husband doing the same thing, actually reading to our daughters. So that's really funny. But yes, as I have read books before where just depending on what we've been going through in our family life or whatever, I may weed out uh, or curse words or whatever, you know, weed out something or other. And it is really, um, (laughs) it's really awkward to do that in the moment. And I never rehearsed before I read. So maybe I could take a page out of your your dad's book there. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So as a kid, were you aware of the unique treasure your father was giving you? Or was that something you didn't really realize was so unique and special until you got older? I really don't think I realized, like I said, until until college. I mean, it was just such a natural part of my life that I didn't even question. And, you know, if I if someone had said, tell me the things that are unique about you, I would have made a list of 25 things before it even occurred to me. Oh, and my dad reads to me every night, you know, because it was so ingrained. It was so just a part of who I was and who we were as a family. Um, it was totally accepted. So. 
it didn't strike me as unusual. And even, you know, when I say it didn't occur to me until college, I mean, there were three weeks left of college when I was like, this is unusual, you know? Um, And I really never paid it any thought. And uh, for example, my, my now husband, then boyfriend knew what had happened. And while we were in college, because we, we started dating my freshman year of college, and it was never a topic of conversation. And I, I wasn't ashamed of it. It wasn't like, oh, well, that's embarrassing. It just was so normal to me. Right. But it never, it never came up in passing. It was like, what, what am I going to talk about? Breathing and drinking <laughs> water? You know, <laughs> it was just a totally natural part of life. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Well, that's actually really encouraging from a parenting perspective too, because I think sometimes we work so hard to do these things that we think are going to make this big impact on our children. And maybe maybe subconsciously or not so, so, so subconsciously, we get frustrated when they don't appreciate it. So that's um, really Yeah, I think it's a here. difference between, I think, hmm, let me think. It's not not appreciating it. It's not recognizing it as unusual. Um, you, you appreciate it, but you kind of think, oh, well, this is just how, of course this is how it is. And then you have to step back much later on and say, wait, that was not common. What happened to me was 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 not only wonderful, but very unusual. Um, but in the moment, and I think that's a compliment to my father that he made it feel so natural, this thing that to so many people would be unnatural. He made it feel so natural that I never gave it a second thought as being odd or out of place. Um, so you're 20, what did you say, 26 now, right? 26. So, mm-hmm. okay. Tell me about the effect on your life now. That's an interesting question. Um, The effect is kind of broad. So I'll start with just reading in general. Uh, I work for Scholastic Book Fairs now, and I actually got that job. They asked me to come and talk about my book. And when I was finished talking about my book and everybody was clapping, I kind of looked around the room at all these book-loving people, and I leaned into the microphone and said, I would like to work here. (laughs) And everyone (laughs) laughed, and I said, no, I'm serious. (laughs) So a few months later, I got a call asking if I if I was serious and I really wanted to work there. So I've been working at Scholastic um, for a couple of years now. And so reading in general plays a huge role in my life. And right now, my, my work has kind of seasons and patterns, but right now I'm in one of the seasons where most of the time my job during the day for, for the next two weeks or so is uh, reading books and and writing about them. So a lot of the time during the day I am being paid to read and, and then do a lot with the stuff I read. But I mean, talk about growing up to be my, my father's child. I mean, I'm, I, uh, I also am in the profession of reading the same way he was. So I think that that's a really direct connection. As far as reading aloud goes, I think that that's, it's an interesting question, but it's a it's a context, I'll say that, that doesn't come up as much because I don't have any children in my life, and uh, the only person I live with is my husband, and I travel a lot. Mm-hmm. So we definitely will do, uh, we'll be reading something, and I'll say, oh, let me read you this, and, and read you a paragraph, and, mm-hmm. and he'll do the same thing. And that feels very natural to me, but I, I actually think it's kind of on a related note, he and I are both very, my husband and I are both very into podcasts and we will sit sometimes and listen to a podcast while coloring or while playing a word game or just drinking tea. And I think that that is unusual. I mean, I I think lots of people love podcasts, but they listen to them while doing something Mm -hmm. in the car or or running errands. Yeah. Yeah. On their own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we'll just put on a podcast and sit 
and that will be an activity for us. And I think that part of the reason that feels so normal to me is the idea of someone talking to me and telling me a story and that being the activity, that's very natural to me. That right. feels right. That feels like how my day should end sometimes. So yeah. um, I, I see that as being very closely correlated. Talk to the parent who says, I believe in reading aloud, but I struggle to make it a priority like I know I should. What would you say to him or her? That's a good but tough question from my point of view because it's really hard for me to say, here's how you make time for this when I don't have kids. And maybe when I have kids, I say, goodness, how did my father ever do this? Right. Um, so, you know, I, whenever... I do a lot of speaking at schools and libraries and whatnot, and those are always a blast. But when a topic like this comes up, I'm always very cautious in how I talk about it because I don't want to sound judgmental or preachy because I have not been in that situation. I truly do not know what it's like to have all of those demands on your time and be raising a kid. But what I will say is I think that in life, we make time for the things that are important to us and on the flip side of that, we also make time for things that aren't important to us, but just kind of accidentally happen. Um, so what I usually say is look for the the bits of time during your day that, gosh, I wish I wasn't spending my time that way. You know, mm-hmm. a couple nights ago, I just sat there and, and looked for the lids for all of our Tupperware and then stacked them by size. And I was like, there is no reason I need to be doing this. It doesn't even make me feel better. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is just me being anal, you know, just, just, there's absolutely no purpose for this. Or like, you know, my husband is always going through and updating all of his apps. And I'm like, I'm sure that's great that your phone is updated. But my point is, I think that there are focus less on, um, you know, what is that thing you're going to give up? Like, I think a lot of people say, oh, but that means I'm going to have to give up work time or that means I'm going to have to give up cooking for dinner. And that's not it. Look at those things that uh, you wish you weren't doing with your time Mm -hmm. and then maybe make a mental note. Hey, the next time I go to reach for my phone and update my apps or the next time I find myself wandering around my kitchen organizing things that are already organized, I'm going to stop myself and I'm going to do this instead. I think that that's a, a healthier way to look at it because if you try to replace reading, it, if you use reading to replace something that is important that you do, you know, you, you shouldn't read instead of exercising or instead of answering a really important work email. If, if it needs to be done, get it done. But I know at least in my day, there are plenty of things I'm doing that don't need to be done. So I think that finding a way to replace those things would be pretty beneficial. Well, I know that um, when I became more intentional about just noticing how often I click on the email app on my um, on my phone, that I had no idea how much time I was spending just clicking and scrolling. And it just seems like, oh, it just takes 10 seconds. But yeah, if you do that enough times during the day, especially if you click on any of those emails, I mean, really, if I sat down and looked at my email, responded it to at one time, and then I, all those other times that I'm tempted to check it during the day, if I put those together, I know I'd have more than 10 minutes, you know, so I could use, it's just about, you know, yeah, think being more intentional with the time that we're wasting, I guess, is what you're Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. You said it better than I did. Intentional. I'm going to steal that for future speeches. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is going to be the toughest question I've asked yet, but if you could only keep three books from that reading streak, which would they be? 
of mm. all those fabulous books on the list, which do you think had maybe the most tremendous impact on you or the, were the most enjoyable or? Interesting. Okay. I'm looking, I actually have a bookshelf of my favorites and I'm sitting in front of it. Oh, perfect. So um, I'm, I'm looking at it as I'm talking. That's a good question. Uh, great expectations immediately comes to mind. And as I'm looking at this bookshelf, I have to tell you about this bookshelf. This was a gift from my husband who, who was my boyfriend at the time. When my book came out, he went behind my back and um, each of my chapters in my book starts with a sentence from the book that we read together. So there's, you know, however, 26 chapters, let's say there's 26 books referenced. And he reached out to people who were important to me and had them buy each of them one book that that started those chapters and then write why they picked it and a special message to me. So this is like the most beautiful gift I've ever received. Oh, and so my now goodness. I'm sitting here looking at these books and they're inscribed from everyone from like the person who directed my plays in seventh grade to like one of my former teachers. I mean, and, and some of these people have since passed away. I mean, it's just an incredible, wow. incredible gift of love and reading, which seems to be a theme in my life. But um, Great Expectations comes to mind because I think that that's the type of book that initially sounds really daunting. We read it when I was in high school and you think, there's no way I'm actually going to like Great Expectations. I mean, we'll get through it, but am I going to like it? And we loved it. I mean, mm. and we reference it all the time. And and I remember that there were passages where my dad would have to like lean the book down on his chest because we were both in tears laughing. I mean, just hysterical, hysterical laughter. Wow. And so being that surprised by a book was just incredibly pleasant. And yeah. so anytime there's a book where I say that looks a little intimidating, I don't know if that's for me. I just tell myself, well, it could be another great expectations where it ends up being a story that sticks with you forever. And, um, that you love much more than you ever could have anticipated. So right, right. that immediately comes to mind. I'm also looking, actually, the book directly next to it um, on my bookshelf is Each Little Bird That Sings, which is by Deborah Wiles. Um, Deborah Wiles is a fantastic writer in general, and we read a few books by her, but this book comes to mind because I've had a number of these relationships, but her, her is, she's very particular. Um, I, we read this book and then I was being interviewed on NPR when the book first came out and, um, Scott Simon, we were on weekend edition. Scott Simon asked me what, what books came to mind. And I said, each little bird that sings and a couple weeks later, I got a let, or sorry, a couple weeks later, I got a letter from Deborah Wiles mm -hmm. saying, Hey, I heard you talking about my book on the radio. This is great. I'd love a copy of your book. And we ended up developing a kind of a friendship. And I see her all the time at conferences. And at this point, she's met my dad. And, you know, we always go up and give each other a great big hug. And um, it's just really interesting to to be writing about these books and then suddenly know these people. I mean, I've developed yeah. friendships with a lot of these people. And and she's a really big deal author. So there's a part of me that just likes to pat myself on the back whenever I go up to her at a conference and say, oh, hey, Deborah. And she gives me a hug. It's yeah, like, yeah. Wow, I am just <laughs> hugging Deborah Wiles. Like, this is nuts. And then, hmm, third book, that's really tough. Uh, I guess I, I have to pick, and there are a lot of ones that are fighting for my attention here because there's ones that represent things to us, but I have to pick, there's a book called When Zachary Beaver Came to Town, okay. and I'm picking that because it was my dad's favorite, and it was, it was so 
like, what's the word I'm looking for? I get kind of emotional when I think about this. He picked his favorite book. You know, we read all of these. We read Sherlock Holmes and Dickens and stuff that as an adult he could really appreciate. And when Zachary Beaver came to town is pure middle grade fiction. It is just written for that age group. And so for him to pick that as his favorite book <laughs> says something about how invested he was in being there with me. This experience mm. was not about him. Um, because if it was about him, it would be very easy to say, we read some Shakespeare. He could just say, oh, the Shakespeare was my favorite part. Because mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm sure as an intelligent, well-read adult, those were the parts that maybe most connected with him. But he was so present with me and so engaged with me that he looks back on this and references a book that's for, you know, fifth graders. Wow, I mean, yeah. I think that says so much. So that um, just has a really treasured place in my heart. Word on the street is that there is a movie deal in the works. Tell me about that. Yes, uh, that is certainly the word on the street. Um, I, it's still kind of an unusual thing to be able to talk about it because it's been in the works for a while. And then only just recently over the summer was it officially announced and then I was allowed to talk about it. So um, it's still strange to be able to say something. But I've been working very closely with Walden Media and they acquired the rights to the book to make it into a movie and they have already partnered with relativity. And so it's kind of moving pretty quickly as far as I can tell. And the writer for the project is Doug Atchison who wrote Aquila and the Bee. Oh wow. And that's kind of a um, serendipitous thing for me because Though I have Twitter, I don't really use Twitter, and really the only occasion that I use Twitter, I, I live tweet the Scripps National Spelling Bee. I am, that is my Super Bowl. I count down to the Scripps National Spelling Bee. I wake up that morning, like jump out of bed, really excited about it. And for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, Killing the Bee is about the Scripps National Spelling Bee. So somebody else who kind of shares my level of geekdom on the Scripps National Spelling Bee and, and that love for words uh, is a really solid partner. So. Uh, you know, a lot is, is in place, which is surprising. It feels like it's moving kind of fast, but um, but in the real world, it's slow. It's I guess it's just fast, fast for movie time, but it feels fast for me. So awesome. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, and I totally appreciate your time and um, discussion, and I'm hoping that our listeners will pick up a copy of your book because I think it has the potential to really transform lives in um help people see that reading aloud can have a massive impact on their relationships, which is what we're really all about anyway. So thank you so much, Alice. Oh, thank you for having me. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. because sometimes the little boy and the bear eat out of mother's pail and also because the little boy sometimes eats his blueberries without 
putting them in his pail. My name is Kaliani Nicole and I am eight years old. I live in Western Australia. One of my favorite books is The Book of Virtues. I like it because it has lots of stories and although sometimes they are sad, they have a meaning and the meaning is clear. Vivian and Kaliani, thank you. I like both of those books too. Listen, I love it when your kids leave me messages that I can put on the podcast. It's simple and easy and you can coach your child right through the message. I can do any editing out of your adult voice if I need to. So as always, no pressure. Actually, Vivian and Kaliani's mom, Elisa, left me this message about the Let the Kids Speak portion of the podcast. Hi, Sarah. This is Elisa. I appreciate this because it's sort of like a little book report for my young children. We read all the time and it's fun to have just a little insight into why they like the different books. Okay. I hope you have a great day, Sarah. Thanks. Bye. I'd love to hear from your kids and shoot, I'd love to hear from you too. So if you have anything you'd like to say about the podcast, leave me a message. Just head to readaloudrevival.com and click the orange button. It can't get any easier than that. As always, show notes for this episode and for all of the episodes of the podcast can be found at readaloudrevival.com. I love it when you leave comments and notes for me there or in the reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much to all of you who do that for me. It is very encouraging for me to read those. Okay, that's it for today. Make sure you get yourself a copy of The Reading Promise. You'll be glad you did. And if you'd like to find out more about Alice and her work, you can head to her book's website at makeareadingpromise.com. Until next time, go build your family culture around books. Mm -hmm.